Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. I know not a measure of stick for myself. I mean, I think for this team going into a hostile environment, as you said, playing against a great quarterback, a good offense, a great team. I mean, a team that was... Um, has been been the team of the last two years or the last few years, I'd say, and just uh, knowing how explosive they are, the, the, the star power they have. Um, as I said, going into their environment, it's, it's a great challenge for us as a team, challenge for our offense and our communication, uh, challenge for us to just stand and play in the ups and the downs, and um, just, yeah, excited to go excited to go into it and uh, be a great great atmosphere and ready to, yeah, ready to go at it. Dak Prescott, quarterback of the Cowboys, 7-2. We'd regard them as the best team in the league right now, but for that, I still don't know what the hell happened game against the Denver Broncos. They go into (laughs) Kansas City. It's a great couple of games for the Cowboys to let everyone know who they are. They got the Chiefs, then they got the Raiders on Thanksgiving, four days apart. Can the Chiefs – look, we, we, we talk so much about the Kansas City offense. Can the Chiefs' defense handle what the Cowboys are able to throw at them, both running and passing. I'm not sure this Chiefs defense, which has gotten better in recent weeks, I'm not sure they're ready for what's about to happen to them. You know, Mike, I, I found it really interesting. On Sunday night, midnight, uh, I spoke to Patrick Mahomes just about what a weird, weird season this has been so far. And one of the things I asked him in the course of that conversation was basically, do you ever just sort of Ask yourself, maybe stare at the ceiling at night. Do you ever say, man, what's wrong? What, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with us? And he said, no, I don't. And, and that says something to me that, that I really like. And that is that when you're a big time athlete and having really smart people game plan against you and, and do all these things to try to stop you, well, you know, sometimes they are going to be able to stop you. And that is what's happened to Mahomes, I think, at times this year. And I only bring that up 
because I am totally fascinated with what the Dallas Cowboys are going to do. You saw what Dan Quinn did last week in totally undressing Matt Ryan. Um, Now, he's going to face a better offense uh, this week in Kansas City than he faced uh, last week against the Atlanta Falcons. But I'm telling you, I think the most interesting part of this game is what is Dan Quinn going to do with Micah Parsons? Because we've seen it at times this year. Micah Parsons is like the old monster back. You know, you go back to Michigan State football in the 60s and an old coach named Duffy Doherty would use a guy, he'd play all over the formation and they call him a monster back. And now Micah Parsons has the ability to rush the passer, to play linebacker, a classic linebacker, or to stop the run. And and to me, that is going to be the big question this week. What does Dan Quinn do with Micah Parsons? And can Micah Parsons neutralize the most gifted quarterback playing right now? Well, and... You know, the Chiefs have struggled and struggled, and they finally had a breakthrough game on Sunday night. I don't know how much stock to put in it. I still don't know how healthy Patrick Mahomes is, and I wonder if he's lost just a little bit of that edge that made him the guy who could keep a play alive just long enough to whip the ball sidearm style into an open receiver's hands 30 yards down the field. I feel like those openings aren't there like they used to be, although Sunday night it seemed different against the Raiders than it has been. But even if he's at full capacity, I look at this Cowboys team. You talk about Michael Parsons and what they've done defensively with Dan Quinn and offensively what they're capable of doing. They are balanced. The Chiefs are not and have not been. And this is a great opportunity for the Chiefs to kind of reestablish themselves in a big spot. It's going to be that late afternoon Sunday game with a gigantic audience. I mean, this is a great pre-Thanksgiving Sunday game. We couldn't ask for anything better. The once every four years, although in theory it can happen more frequently than that now because of the 17th game and the formula for coming up with it. But this idea of Chiefs-Cowboys, it's always uh, an interesting game, dating back to when they both were in Dallas as the Texans and the Cowboys and the Texans got the hell out of town because they realized they weren't going to win the hearts and minds and wallets of Dallas. It's a great game. And and this is a time, a rare occasion, really, when both teams are operating at a really high level to make the game even more memorable. Mike, in the span of five days, the Dallas Cowboys are basically going to play the biggest role, I think, of, of any single team in determining the the fate of the AFC West this year. They've got the uh they've got the Kansas City Chiefs on Sunday in Kansas City. And then on a short week for both them and the Raiders, they've got the Raiders on Thanksgiving with that late afternoon window uh from Jerry World. And a couple of weird things about this, at least in my mind. You remember eight years ago, you know, because that's how often, you know, uh cross-conference teams play at teams in the other conference. Eight years ago, in 2013, the Dallas-Oakland at the time, the Dallas-Oakland game was also the late afternoon window on Thanksgiving. So this is the second consecutive time trip to, to Texas that the Raiders have had that short week game on the road and have played the Cowboys. But 
and and look, the Raiders have a lot to prove in the in you know in the in the in the coming you know few days because they have had two bad games in a row. But I get the feeling that Kansas City has started to solve its problems, Mike. And I think you're going to see a classic. This is not going to be a blowout on either side. I, I'll, I'll almost guarantee you. I think this is going to be a great four-quarter football game. It's got the highest over under the week, according to points, about at 56 and a half. And it, it could get there and maybe even beyond because both offenses very, very capable of moving the ball and scoring points. And yeah, a great week for the Cowboys who have been taken seriously they had the setback against that AFC West team from Denver, which caused folks to say, what's really going on here? But then they they completely stopped the Falcons to reestablish themselves. So, you know, the Cowboys, I think, Peter, before we take our break, they have, I thought they're locked in at the four seed. They have a chance, a chance to even get the one seed. We're going to learn a lot about no whether question. or not the Cowboys are ready to be the best team in the NFC based on what they do Sunday afternoon and Thursday afternoon and games that probably kick off right about at the same time will learn a lot about who these Cowboys are ready to try to become. Let's go ahead and take a break. When we return, Sean Payton may be making an involuntary donation to the charity of the NFL's choice, but it would be money well spent because he came out and said what needed to be said yesterday about the officiating crisis in the NFL. We'll discuss that next here on PFT Live. What was the explanation of the rocket massive No explanation. So. There wasn't an explanation. What do you want me to say? I'm just saying. My opinion on it? No, no opinion on it. How much did the false start on the two-point conversion attempt at the end change your play call in there? Everything. I mean, significant. From the two to the significant. What do you think even before that? Like, We'll see. I'm not going to tell you what play it was, Catherine. No, Seriously. Not a play, but I Next question. Next question. Next question. Obviously, it changes the play when you're on the two when you go to the seven. An agitated Sean Payton after Sunday's loss to the Titans, which featured a phantom roughing the passer call, what Chris Sims now calls nothing the passer that took an interception off the board, gave Tennessee the ball back. They scored a touchdown. Isn't that great? I was searching for something, and he just blurted it out the other day, and it's like genius. Excellent. Nothing the passer. Anyway, on Monday night, Peyton said, hey, it is called roughing the passer. We expect to see roughing without commenting on any specific plays, mind you. He's being very careful there because he doesn't want to be fined. Here he is from yesterday's Dan Patrick show, which follows us here on Peacock, talking about officiating generally without delving into any specific complaints he may have about specific bad calls that specifically screwed the Saints on Sunday. Here he is. Those kind of things can happen. You know, I mean, they just and and, and I look at that more uh from an overall leadership perspective and training perspective and like that, those problems start at the top, not at the individual crews. I look, I know there's a a number of people in our positions that believe these guys should be full time. I mean, I, that they should be coming back Monday in, in, in centralized locations. How are 17 crews ever going to be on the same page when, um, when there's a conference call or a zoom call and then, 
you know that but that's for that's for another day right now we have to improve yes like we have to and and look everyone everyone watching and participating and, and involved in it deserves better <clears throat> absolutely and there are so many different things the NFL can do to improve the officiating from embracing sky judge slash booth umpire slash whatever term they want to use for it to having full-time officials who are engaged actively as actively in meetings and film review and efforts to ensure consistency and accuracy of calls, not just going back to their hometowns where they spend some time on their primary job and some time on their side gig. No, you're all in skin in the game fully and completely. This is your profession. You're paid accordingly. That's the problem. They don't want to pay them accordingly, Peter, but they need these folks to be full time, all time, full focus, have your meetings, get together, review the calls, strive to improve. I think that's what Sean Payton's getting at. The question is, will the NFL ever do it? Mike, uh, you know, three quick points to make about that. Number one, I think the NFL will probably be motivated to think about it if there are three or four more games like there have been the last two weekends. I would argue that the wrong team lost. And so obviously then the wrong team won one game in each of the last two weekends. Chicago got totally jobbed at Pittsburgh. And, you know, and forget the, uh, you know, the, the horrendous call on Cassius Marsh, which, you know, look, because Chicago came back and scored after that, it's not as big a deal as it could have been giving Pittsburgh late in the game a fresh set of downs. The bigger miss in that game was James Daniel, the pulling guard of the Chicago Bears, whiffing or barely touching T.J. Watt when Daniel, both feet are still in the tackle box, okay? And, and you know, so, and, and it was called a low block and it took away a touchdown from the Chicago Bears. Bears obviously end up losing the game. Then the Saints at Tennessee on Sunday. Obviously, the totally phony roughing the passer call. Uh, on Caden Ellis of the Saints. Uh, and, and look, the amazing part of this call, okay, is when the referee announces it to the crowd, he said basically head-to-head contact, helmet-to-helmet contact on that. And there was no helmet-to-helmet contact. And the amazing thing is, there's the umpire who threw the flag behind him. He's five yards away. There he is. He's five yards away, and there's nothing in the way. Nothing. And he called a helmet-to-helmet late hit on the quarterback. It's just utterly preposterous. But, Mike, the bigger issue, the overarching issue, you talk about the sky judge, there are already two fixer mechanisms in place. Walt Anderson is watching all these games from the Officiating Command Center on Park Avenue in New York. He has a direct communication line to the ear of the referee in every game that's played. He can say, listen, you got to look at that call again, uh, or let us look at that call again, have a crew conference, 
it doesn't look good, it doesn't look right. The same thing is the replay official can also buzz down and say words to the effect of, man, that, that call didn't happen, it's a phantom call. We don't see it up here, or I don't see it up here. But the procedure doesn't Where allow that. The current they? procedure doesn't allow that. They don't allow, the, they have a very limited range where they can assist right. without the full-blown replay function. Not that the full-blown replay function could even be activated for roughing the passer. I've been an advocate for years of having someone who's dressed out in black and white stripes and walks into the replay booth and is there as a member of the crew who can say, pick up that flag, who can say, drop a flag, who can participate actively in conferences on everything that happens because that person sees what we see. The car, and I think what they're doing now is the baby step toward it, but currently there is no yeah. mechanism for anyone telling Barry Anderson, pick up that flag. That's the problem. Other than, other than have a crew conference and discuss that. Are you sure you saw that? You can say that. And so right. why can't they say that? Why in the world do they say, oh, no, 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 I'm sure about this. If they're telling you from New York or from upstairs that it's a phantom call, you better think very seriously about having a crew conference and picking up the flag. But they're not allowed to. See, this gets back to when it's appropriate to break the rules. And Rams Saints 2018 NFC Championship, all Al Riveron had to do was just say real quickly, press the button, drop a flag. There was interference, drop a flag, drop a flag now, drop a flag now. It would have been a gross and blatant violation of the procedures. And if it had ever come out, the Rams could have complained all they wanted. But who's going to say, well, Rams, you got a point. They violated their internal protocols to drop a flag that needed to be dropped. Nobody would have been nearly as upset as the Saints and their fans who boycotted the Super Bowl, the rating plummeted for that Super Bowl in New Orleans. They didn't want to have anything to do with it after that call. So you have to know when to break the rules. And what you're suggesting, and I think it would have been an appropriate outcome, somebody says to the referee, go have a crew conference, talk about this, because I don't think that was roughing. You can't do it technically, but you can do it practically. I am an advocate of getting to the point where you can do it technically and practically it's the rule it's the approach that that person in the booth is a member of the crew has the same standing as the crew has the same attendance at meetings knowledge of the rule book and everything just has the perspective we have at home that's the biggest problem the nfl has right now the disconnect between what the officials who are among the gladiators see in real time with the naked eye at full speed and what the rest of us see at home and if you can bridge that gap with what we see at home and fix the calls in real time, that goes a long way toward not giving us things that we can talk about and complain about and that coaches can complain about justifiably after the games. Look, Mike, something's got to be done. You're right. Sean Payton's right. Um, I'm not even convinced that this is worse than it ever has been because I don't really think that's the case. I think every year there are <clears throat> abominable calls and non-calls and we scream about it every year. The fact is, however it's done, whether they give the replay official the power that you would give, let's say, a Sky Judge, or whether you give Walt Anderson in New York or his lieutenants in the officiating command center, whether you give them that power, 
I, I do think that something has to be done if, if you're going to have so many cameras on games that show you things like Caden Ellis never touching Ryan Tannehill's head. And I agree with you. It's not that it's worse. It's that the mistakes are more easily witnessed in high-def 80-inch TV screens across the country. And the NFL is reacting to the criticism by doing nothing, saying nothing. Remember you used to say, and I credit you for this all the time, when Al Riveron took over for Dean Blandino, during the season, the person who is the liaison between the league office and the media and the fans when it comes to explaining calls, discussing issues in officiating is the most important job in the entire league office. Currently, that position is abdicated. There is no one. And the last two weeks, we have gotten a minute to a minute and a half of Perry Fuel reading off of a teleprompter in very conclusory fashion about calls that were proper, not calls that were improper. There's no one there. Their approach is stick their head in the sand and ignore it because the next bright, shiny object is coming. We don't have to talk about our flaws and mistakes because they'll forget about them when the next game is served up. Mike, it's like I said a couple of weeks ago when everyone is screaming about all the controversies around the NFL, the Gruden story, um, you know, the Washington emails not being released. You know what the NFL counts on? That is a gigantic story for two or three days, and they count on the white noise of Sunday obliterating everything because people don't really watch football to read about emails that the Washington football team uh, or somebody investigating the Washington football team has uncovered. They watch because they can't wait to see Dak Prescott versus Patrick Mahomes. That is the white noise that I'm talking about. It obliterates everything in its path. And so on Monday, you know, it was funny. On Sunday, I I was thinking to myself, man, I'm going to write maybe a thousand words in my column about officiating because I cannot get over this Cassius Marsh call. Not necessarily that the call was made, okay? But that the NFL put out a video defending the call in which a guy from 30 feet away who said nothing was basically given a flag for posturing. That's what it was called. It was called posturing. We didn't like his posture. Okay? And then not only do they give him a flag for posturing, and not only do they come out three days later and say, we're defending our flag for taunting, then they fine him $6,000. It's just after, by the way, being hip-checked, by Tony Carrenti. And, and I just, that to me, I don't care what you think about that call, whether that was an egregious call, what, whatever you think about the call, what followed from the hip check to the confirmation of it on video at, with somebody from the officiating department and then a fine is, I, I, can't, I can't think of how outrageous and how outlandish it is but it is.
Three very, very quick points, and then we got to take a break. Number one, they had to find him because if they hadn't found him, they would have been implicitly acknowledging that he didn't engage in illegal posturing. Second, they love the controversy <laughs> that arose over the Cassius Marsh posturing call because it obscured the horrendous take a touchdown off the board for a low block that didn't happen outside the tackle box. They love that we were talking about Cassius Marsh and not that. And third and finally, Peter, they've created a standard posturing that is not going to be consistently applied. I had a coach send me this week video of Spencer Brown, the rookie Bills right tackle, after pancaking a guy on a 15-yard touchdown run by Matt Breida, who aggressively postured to the Jets' sideline. Now, maybe they just think, <laughs> eh, it's the Jets. They're not going to start a rumble over this. But but if you're going to call it, if you're going to call posturing and defend it as posturing, you better be looking for any and all posturing you see. Otherwise, your standard is all over the place, and you throw a flag whenever you feel like it, and you keep your flag tucked away. Whenever you feel like not throwing the flag, that's the kind of one final question the game doesn't need. Go ahead. One final question before we go to break. Do you think Tony Carini is going to get the Super Bowl assignment this year? (laughs) I don't. You know what? They could give it to him just as a middle finger to all of us that we don't care. He's doing what we want. But uh, yeah, I I don't think we're going to see number 99 on the back of the referee's jersey when february 13 rolls around at sofi stadium that's for sure let's take a break speed round when we return getting you ready for more games from week 11 we'll be back with more pft live right after this reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no that's a good thing Uh, (laughs) that's definitely not a problem Uh, reese's you did it you stumped this charming devil The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. I'm going to give away 50 tickets to... The people who has rarely been to a game or has never been to a game. And I'm partnering with the Panther, uh, Panthers in doing this. But I'm, I'm adamant about this Sunday is important for us. We need to reclaim Bank of America Stadium. I know the success hasn't been there, but we ain't talking about the past. We're talking about the things here moving forward. Cam Newton back with the Panthers and Ron Rivera coming to town. It, it couldn't have worked out any more perfectly for Cam Newton's first really? game back <laughs> in Carolina as quarterback of the Panthers. It's time now for today's speed round brought to you by Verizon, the official 5G network of the NFL. And let's begin there, Peter. Washington football team 3-6 and six after thumping the Buccaneers. 
coming out of the bye week. Washington feeling good about themselves. Panthers at five and five, very much alive. Can Ron Rivera, I'm so, <coughs> excuse me, can Ron Rivera shut down his old quarterback? Well, I think he can, Mike. I think the biggest issue is right now is Cam Newton, uh, some new version, and and a, a sort of, as he said, he wants to reclaim Bank of America Stadium. You know, is he what he was when he was the quarterback of the Panthers in his glory days? Or is he what he was last year in New England? And And last year in New England was not a pretty sight. So I think this is a really important game for Cam Newton. And not just because he's playing his old friend Ron Rivera. It's an important game because Cam Newton has to show both Matt Rule, uh, David Tepper in this organization that he deserves to be the quarterback going forward. That's, to me, almost as important as somehow scratching and clawing a win to stay in contention for that seventh seed in the playoffs. What I love about this game is you've got one coaching staff that is just getting to know Cam Newton, and you've got the head coach coming in who knows him better than anyone ever will. And I asked him jokingly after the win against the Buccaneers, do you carry around a file of plays to be used defensively in the event you ever face Cam Newton? He said, actually, yes, I do. So uh, that, that makes a game that otherwise would have been eh on the schedule a very fascinating one. How about the Ravens coming off of the 22-10 loss last Thursday night to the Dolphins? 6-3 and three taking on the 3-6 and six Bears who are coming off of their bye week. Can they duplicate what the Dolphins did blitzing Lamar Jackson with safeties to the point where the Ravens have no answer? You know, I'm sure that, that Greg Roman is going to have a couple of plans because every good coach, every good play caller in the NFL has contingency plans. And I'm positive that just as uh, the Chicago Bears watched the tape and watched how great the pass rush was from all over, particularly from the secondary on Lamar Jackson, I believe in this game that you're going to see the, the Ravens plan for that significantly better than they did last week. So, Mike, I, nothing is forever in the NFL, and I doubt sincerely that they will get totally messed up by a blitz again this week. Yeah, you know, I agree with you, and they definitely need to get back on the right track. This is their easiest game left on the schedule. They have some difficult contests coming up if they want to win that division and or get to the playoffs. How about the Packers at 8 and 2 going to take on the Vikings? Aaron Rodgers has not practiced this week with a toe injury that first popped up last Saturday when he was activated off the COVID list. They added him to the injury report with a toe, didn't didn't attach a label like questionable to it, so he played, but the toe's an issue. And remember last year with Patrick Mahomes, he had the the turf toe that lasted all year long. This is a mobile quarterback. Rodgers says he's definitely playing, but Peter, that's something to keep an eye on. Whether and to what extent he can move like he usually does if that toe is so bad that he was unable to practice either of the last two days. Look, you know what's interesting about this game? The fact is it's going to be played on a fast track. You know, indoors, 
in Minneapolis. And I say that because the, the edge rushers for the Minnesota Vikings and the linebackers for the Vikings are going to be able to get off very, very sort of accurately. And what I mean accurately is if they are 4.52 in the 40, they're going to be 4.52 on this track. It's not going to be through the mud and muck or whatever the field would be at Lambeau. That to me is an advantage to the defense because I, I would just guess that Aaron Rodgers would be more likely to be more of a pocket quarterback in this game than he would be normally. So if I were the Green Bay Packers, I'd be thinking a lot of a lot more short routes, maybe wheel routes. You saw what A.J. Dillon did last week, making that 150-yard catch and run. I would be thinking about throwing short instead of throwing deep. They can essentially lock up the division with a win in Minnesota on Sunday. They currently have a three-and-a-half game lead over the Vikings. Cardinals 8-2, and two, Seahawks 3-6. and six. It looks like a typo when you see Seahawks at 3-6. and six. How do you think Russell Wilson bounces back from the first ever shutout he has absorbed at the NFL level? I think he's going to bounce back well. I think this will be a really competitive game, even if Kyler Murray plays, and it seems like he will play. Russell Wilson is just whatever you think of him as a person and whatever you think of, yeah, I've been rehabbing 19 hours a day. Whatever it is that you think of, he is a competitive nut job. And he is not going to take this, what just happened last week, lying down. He is going to come back this week. He's going to have the Seattle Seahawks in this game to the end. Now, it'd be hard for me to pick them in this game, but I think this is going to be a very competitive game all the way through. 10 days away from turning 33 is Russell Wilson. He said earlier this year he wants to be legendary and iconic. The team around him is not legendary or iconic, and I have a feeling after this season ends, we're going to be right back where we were in March, where the the noise was there that Russell Wilson would like to continue his career somewhere else. Colts and Bills. The Colts almost beat Buffalo back in the wild card round. 27-24, the Bills won. The Colts are built to play outdoors. The Colts are built to compete well with the Bills. Peter, I think the Bills still win this, but I think the, I think when I see that 7.5 spread, Sims and I said this yesterday, that 7.5 spread's too much. I think the Colts are going to keep it close. You know, the Colts right now are more on top of the game, top of their game than they have been. I think one of the big things in this game is how will Buffalo play Jonathan Taylor? Will they really sell out to stop him? And if so, will that take a little bit of the attention away from Carson Wentz in the passing game? You know, to me, I would really, if I were them, I would be doing everything to stop Jonathan Taylor behind that really good offensive line. I think this could be a game, a breakout kind of game for Carson Wentz. And I think it'll need to be if Indianapolis is going to win it. All right, let's take a break. Show me something draft for week 11 when this Friday edition of PFT Live continues right after this. Pro Football Talk is brought to you by Verizon, the official 5G network of the NFL.
All right, let's get right to it. Show me something. Week 11. Uh, Peter, you are up first. Show me something Carson Wentz. And when you get married to a quarterback for a long period of time, which the Indianapolis Colts have done, they've basically already committed, uh, barring injury, sending their first-round pick next year to the Philadelphia Eagles for Carson Wentz. So they basically are now in a long-term relationship. The first episode of Hard Knocks this week just basically underlines it, underscores it. You can see the relationship. It's all real with Frank Reich and Carson Wentz. They're going forward as a team. Carson Wentz needs to have a big game and to beat some teams that it looks like he shouldn't beat. I want to see Carson Wentz go to Buffalo, play a big game in the cold. He's used to it. He's from North Dakota, played in Philadelphia. Play a great game against a team you're not supposed to beat. Show me something Carson Wentz. There's a lot of good choices this week. I'm going to start with Cam Newton. Show me something more accurately. Show me more. Two touchdowns in nine snaps against the Cardinals. Likely will start going against Ron Rivera. I can't wait to see what Cam Newton does. I think it's great that he's back. It's exciting. It's entertaining. And it's fun. And and sometimes it's okay for football to be fun. Show me something to a Tonga Valoa. Um, you might say, well, wait a second. They're playing the Jets. But these are the games that you've got to win and you've got to win decisively. Tua Tagovailoa is certainly not out of the woods as far as being the definite long-term quarterback of the Miami Dolphins. To me, a loss and a poor performance on Sunday would basically send Stephen Ross walking out of MetLife Stadium saying, Man, we got to figure a way to get Deshaun Watson in the offseason. Show me something to Watonga Valoa to prevent that from happening. Show me something, Baker Mayfield. The Browns had a big win in Cincinnati. They got splattered last weekend by the Patriots. Mayfield says he's as banged up as he's ever been. This is the 0-8-1 Lions with Tim Boyle supplanting Jared Goff, who is injured or injured as the case may be. But... I want the Browns to come out and win and win big and convince people they're ready to make a run, that they're one of these teams hovering around 500 and exactly at 500 right now who can put together enough victories to get to the postseason. And there's something brewing with Mayfield and Jarvis Landry. Keep an eye on it, just like it was Mayfield and Odell Beckham Jr. Keep an eye on whether or not Mayfield throws the ball to Landry because I think there's a little association bias that's happening possibly between Mayfield and Landry after that ugly OBJ breakup. Keep an eye on that. Let's take a break. We'll do round three of the Show Me Something draft as we wrap up this Friday edition of PFT Live right after this. All right, two rounds done and at least one more round. Maybe two more rounds. Who knows? Let's get it started. Peter, you're up. Show me something, Steve Spagnolo. You know, Mike, I screened a couple of those man in the arena uh, ESPN shows about Tom Brady. And one of the ones I screened was about the 2007 season where the Giants beat him in the Super Bowl and Brady was just totally, uh, you know, confounded. <laughs> and in that particular game, in that Super Bowl, one of the key elements was Steve Spagnolo, the young Giants defensive coordinator, 
sending rushers at Brady from everywhere. And in my opinion, what Spagnolo has to do in this particular game, because he doesn't have the best run defense in the league right now, when it is a passing down, he's got to send blitzers at uh, Dak Prescott from everywhere. So show me something. Knock Dak Prescott off his spot, Steve Spagnolo. Show me something, Joe Burrow. We've forgotten about the Bengals. They were 5-2. and two. They were riding high. They were looking good. People were whispering one seed for the Bengals. And then they lose two in a row. And we start wondering what in the world is up with the Bengals. They need to reestablish themselves against a Raiders team that has lost two in a row. A sneaky, compelling game on uh, Sunday afternoon. Let's, let's get one more real quick each, Peter. What do you got? I got show me something Byron Leftwich. 46 points the last two games, both losses for Tampa Bay. I think this is a week that against the New York Giants, a sneaky good defense, you know, with a bright young defensive coordinator, Patrick Graham, that's going to be a troublesome game for the Buccaneers, especially a Tampa Bay team not playing well. Last one for me, a game we haven't discussed, Saints at Eagles. Show me something, Trevor Simeon. I still am confused why he's the quarterback and not Taysom Hill. That's kind of an indictment, I think, of Taysom Hill at this point. But they go to Philly against a hot Eagles team. They need this one to avoid three losses in a row for a Saints team that was looking pretty good not that long ago after beating the Buccaneers. They're in a bit of a tailspin. They need to worry about not making the playoffs at all, Peter. And again, in the NFC, everybody's in it except the Lions. You got 15 teams, but eventually eight of them are going to be out. Hey, by the way, show me something, Daniel Jones. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's perfect. Perfect. And what a game that'll be Monday night. Now that the Buccaneers have lost two in a row and they are reeling and the Giants are rested. That's it for today. Thanks for some of your time as always. We'll see you real soon. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.